Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you um, that you're in control, that you are working your perfect plan. We thank you that even in the moments where we're unsure of what is happening or what comes next, uh, we can trust that you know exactly what is happening and what comes next. And so in the midst of what are just really strange days, God, and for many of us what are really hard days, I ask that this moment would be a moment that you would still our hearts, that you would calm our anxieties, that you would allow us to focus on the one thing that truly matters, and that is you, and push aside our fears and concerns and doubts. I pray that you would meet with us in this moment as we are scattered all over the Bay Area and beyond. I pray, God, um, as weird as it is to preach uh, to a computer screen, that you would speak through me. I pray that you would give me your words. I pray that this passage, which I've spent this week studying, would um, would come alive in these moments and not because I communicate anything um, in a special way, but because it is your word and it's your truth and it's living and it's active. And so I pray that our hearts and minds would be changed today, God, because of what you have taught us in this little book of Colossians halfway through the New Testament. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you for, your how, thank you for how you are allowing our church to continue to feel some sense of unity in the midst of this um, disunifying experience. And I pray, God, that you would continue as you have been to, to protect our body, to move in this place, and to empower us to be bold about sharing the good news of who you are with everyone and anyone that you put into our path. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, so good to be with you uh, virtually. I really, really wish we were together physically, but we'll get there and we trust that we will. And in the meantime, um, we will continue to do the best we can to create a space where we can gather uh, as a church and continue to feel some sense of community and unity. We are continuing uh, the series that we're in in Colossians. This is week three, and I have about a 50-minute sermon that I need to preach in about 29 minutes. So, so giddy up. Let's get going. Uh, this, the title of this series is This Changes Everything, and the whole idea behind that is that Colossians is simply an explanation of who Jesus is, what he has done, and how that changes everything in the way that we live our lives. So this is week three in that series. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to go through chapter 2, verse 5. Again, the text for today is Colossians 1, verse 24, going through chapter 2, verse 5. I'm not going to give you much time to get there because we got to get going. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says this, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the early 2000s, uh, in San Francisco, on the local CBS affiliate, KPIX, there started a segment in the evenings titled, Somebody's Gotta Do It. In that segment, the host would travel around the city of San Francisco, finding the most dangerous, treacherous, and really the most disgusting jobs that people had to do in the city. And not only would he highlight them, but he would actually uh, try to do them himself. One of the all-time most popular segments. And I'm, I think I'm going to get in trouble for, for sharing this in a sermon, but whatever. Uh, one of the most all-time uh, most popular segments from that Somebody's Gotta Do It segment on KPIX was one called The Poo Truck, where he actually uh, spent a day with the guy who drove the truck at the San Francisco Zoo who picked up all the animal waste all day long. Now, some of you will know the host of that segment was a guy named Mike Rowe. And the Discovery Channel actually picked up that segment and turned it into a full-fledged show. And it became one of the most successful shows in the history of the Discovery Channel. Mike Rowe hosted a show called Dirty Jobs on the Discovery Channel. And in that show, he went around the country highlighting some of the strangest, dirtiest, and most difficult jobs that people do. Some of the things that he highlighted, and he wouldn't just highlight them, he would actually try the job himself were things like snake wrangler and shark suit tester. Now, part of why people love that show was because of the gross factor, right? He would do just crazy things that you couldn't imagine someone doing. And, and that was attractive to a, to a TV audience. But another reason that people love that show is that he brought dignity and respect to jobs that most of us could never imagine even doing, certainly wouldn't have the fortitude to do. But which were, for the most part, really necessary jobs for our society to function. The theme amongst both of those, the segment on KPIX in San Francisco and Dirty Jobs on Discovery Channel was, was basically this. It's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. And if we're being real honest with each other, and it's just right now me in my living room with my computer screen, so I feel all kinds of freedom to be really honest. Um, sometimes the Christian life feels like that. Sometimes it feels like an episode of Dirty Jobs. Like, this is a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. At any given time, you or I, if we have decided to follow Jesus, we could come up with a thousand ways that following Jesus feels like it has made our lives pretty difficult. It, it, it causes us to change our priorities, the way we use our money, the way we use our time, the things we do and the things we don't do. And if we're just being honest, it's really easy in moments to be like, this this Christian life feels, feels like it's a really hard job. Now, 
I think that's actually what Paul is speaking to in the text that we're going to look at today. Just for a bit of context, for a reminder of where we've been, in the first week we looked at his introduction and basically he said, "Here's here's the gospel and here's how the gospel changes everything. Last week he transitioned from that into this is who Jesus is and this is what Jesus has done. After this week, the rest of the book of Colossians is essentially Paul fleshing out this is how the this is how the gospel changes everything and here are the really practical ways that the gospel affects our everyday lives. But before he gets there, he makes one more pit stop and that is the section of Colossians that we are looking at today. And remember, Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never met these people. And so in the verses that we're looking at today, Paul is essentially saying, here's what the gospel is. Here's who Jesus is. Now allow myself to introduce myself. So in this section, we hear about who Paul is. There are three things that I see, I think that we are going to see, that Paul communicates to the church in Colossae in this section about him. And I want those three things to frame how we study these verses this morning. The three things he communicates are this. First, he says to them, God has given me a job to do. The second thing he tells them is it's a hard job. And in fact, as we see, it's not just hard. It actually has caused me to suffer a lot. And then the last thing he says to them is I have joy in that suffering, not in spite of it. And I'll hit this point again. But it's worth saying now. He doesn't say, I have joy in spite of my suffering. Paul says, I have joy because of my suffering. God has given me a job. It's a hard job, but I have joy in the midst of it. And again, I want that to frame how we see what this passage means for us today. So the first thing that we're going to see as we turn back to the text in Colossians, end of Colossians 1, is this. God has a job for you. God has a job for you. Uh, Turn with me back or look with me back at verse 25. We're going to skip over verse 24 for now. In verse 25, Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. What's he saying right there? He's saying God gave me a job and it was to be a minister. The Greek word for minister is diakonos. It is the word that we get our modern word deacon from. It essentially means uh, someone who serves somebody else to act as an intermediary or to serve, act as an assistant to a superior. And so Paul is just saying, look, God gave me a job and it is to serve him on your behalf. But let me go ahead and tell you what that job is. The last part of verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. So God gave me a job and that job is to make everyone know about who God is. And then he fleshes it out a little bit more. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Now, that word mystery, maybe you noticed it, it shows up three times in these 11 verses. He says, my job is to make known God's mystery, which he explicitly says what it is the next in the next verse, verse 27. To them, talking about the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this, here it is again, mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then again, chapter two, verse uh, two, he talks about the mystery, which is Christ. So the first thing Paul is saying to these guys is, uh, or these guys and gals is God gave me a job and here's the job. I have have a, I have a, 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 I have a job that has been commissioned by God and it is to make him fully known. It is to reveal the mystery of God. And it's not a mystery anymore. I can tell you what it is. The mystery is Christ 
and the fact that Christ, if you make him Lord of your life, will actually live in you. He reiterates it one more time as we keep moving through the passage in verse 28 when he starts that off by saying, him we proclaim. I have a job. It is to make Jesus fully known, to reveal the mystery, to proclaim him. Now, we know from the rest of the New Testament, Paul had other jobs. He was a tent maker, so on and so forth. But what he's saying right here is that there is an overarching, all-encompassing job description, which I have on my life, which God gave to me, and that is to make him fully known. At the company I worked for before I went to seminary, uh, I had several different roles. The last role I had there was uh, outside sales. And when I transitioned into that role, I got a job description for that job. It was a several page document that laid out all of the expectations, the metrics, the uh, how things were going to work in this job, what it was going to look like, what they expected from me. That was the official uh, job description. That job also came, and for all of you who are in sales uh, or something similar, you're going to know what I'm talking about. That job also came with an unofficial job description. The unofficial job description was just one sentence. Sell as much as you possibly can. I guess there was a maybe a, a sub-sentence, which was, as long as it's legal and within compliance, do everything possible in your power to grow sales. Everything else on the official job description simply served to serve and was subservient to the one line on the unofficial job description, which was sell as much as you can. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. He says, I have a lot of things to do, but my one sentence job description is to make God known. And what I want us to see as we look at this passage is that we, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, for those who would call him Lord of their life, we have the exact same job description on our life. The same job description that was given to Paul by God has been given to you and I if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that our lives need to look exactly like Paul's. I'm not saying God is calling everyone to leave everything behind and go travel around the world planting churches everywhere they go. Though he may be calling some of us to do that, and that would be awesome. No, God's call in our life, like Paul's, is that we are to make him fully known, to proclaim him everywhere we go, to reveal the mystery of Christ, Christ in you. Our challenge is we forget that overarching job description so often. We run so hard so often after the lesser job descriptions that God has given us. I just, I just want us to, to, to recognize this morning that God has not called us to build the perfect, comfortable, affluent life that is the envy of all of our neighbors and our colleagues. God has not called us to amass as many social media followers as we possibly can. God has not called us to create the perfect home. He has not called us to create the perfect children. The primary job that God has called us to is not to get the next round of funding or to take, uh, take the startup public or to get tenure or to get published or whatever it is. The primary and overarching job description on anyone's life who is a follower of Christ is to make him fully known. And you know what I think is so cool about that in this season? How many people have you ta heard talking about this season as a cool season? What I think is so cool about that in this season, in coronavirus, quarantine, shelter in place, is this. That job description doesn't change. In a season where so many people are losing their jobs or are being furloughed from their jobs or have nothing to do at their jobs, 
the job description for a follower of Christ remains the same. That is to make him fully known, to proclaim him, to reveal the mystery of who Christ is. And we can do that whether we are sheltering at home, quarantined or not. God has a job for you. That's the first thing we see in this text. Now, the second thing we're going to see in this text is that it is a hard job. Not only does God have a job for you, but it is a hard job. As we turn back to it, look with me now at verse 29, continuing to work our way through these verses. Paul says, for this, talking about this job that God has given me, for this I toil, struggling. Now we're going to skip over the rest of that verse. Go to verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. It says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. He says it two times in the space of two verses. The Greek words for struggle and struggling are uh, agon and agonizomai. In that context, in Paul's time, they had a connotation of athletic competition, of training and competing in athletic games. They also had a connotation of fighting. But what might help us as we think about it today is agon and agonizomai are the root words that we get our modern English words of agony and agonizing. Paul is saying this job that God has given me, it is a hard job. I'm toiling at it. it. It causes me agony and I'm agonizing in the way that I do it. And a little spoiler alert, we'll get to this in the third point, but, but more than agonizing, he actually suffers because of this job that God has given to him. But here's the beautiful thing. If we circle back to verse 29, to the part that I skipped over, look at what it says. I'll start at the beginning of the verse. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, this is a hard job that God has given me. But do you remember the mystery I just told you? The mystery which is Christ in you? Well, he's in me too. And that's the way I'm able to do this job. It's not in my own power. It's because of the, the energy of Christ that he powerfully works within me that I can do the hard job that God has called me to. Just this week, uh, I was having a conversation with a member uh, of our church. And this person was telling me about how several months ago, uh, he and his family, uh, he's got a, a wife and children, um, they invited someone who wasn't a family member to come and live with them. It, this person is not a family member. It's a, it's a friend of family and uh, someone who had some significant personal struggles, didn't have a place to stay. And this member of our church told me, uh, look, I have, a, I have a house in the Bay Area. He goes, that's not my house. And so we just felt like God was calling us to let this person live with us. And then lo and behold, we go into quarantine mode and now they're all there together. This call was not, I just want to make it clear, was not a conversation like, and it's just been so wonderful and so easy for our family to have this person sleeping on our couch who we're trying to help out. It was a call of like, hey, can you pray for, for us and for me? Because this has put a lot of strain on our family. It's put a lot of stress on my marriage, but they are making fully known to this person who is living with them the mystery of the gospel of Christ in you. They are proclaiming him every day to this person that has come in and, and just uh, is, is living with them. It's, it's just an amazing testimony of what God does when he gets a hold of somebody's life. While it's hard for them, he also made really clear, like it's been amazing to see how God's working in this person's life and how, um, how our family is having an influence on this person because they are, they are living out the gospel. They have been called by God to do a job and it is a hard job. It's inconvenient 
and it's uncomfortable, but they are living it out. I think this is something that we miss or we want to ignore about the job that God has called us as followers of Jesus to do. We, most of us, myself included, would say we would be more than happy to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim him, as long as we do it between, as long as God asks us to do it, between nine and five, not on weekends, not on holidays, and as long as we can do it outside of our house and, and away from kind of our personal space. The, the, the problem is that's not how it works. The job that God has given us to do, it's a hard job because it's all encompassing and it causes, it, the, the ask is for sacrifice. The ask is for us to actually be inconvenienced ourselves to do the job that God has called us to do. It's uncomfortable and it's inconvenient, but we can do it. We can do the job that God has called us to do, not because we do it in our own power, but because of the mystery, Christ in you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have Christ in us and it is his energy working powerfully in us to love others well, to be inconvenienced for others. So many of us are like, yeah, I'll serve God as long as it doesn't interrupt uh, my gym time or my tea time or my wine time. But those are the times that get interrupted, get interrupted when God gives us a job to do. It is a, it is a hard job that God calls us to, but we have him working inside of us. God calls us to do a job. It's a hard job to do. Now, if you happen to be watching this and you do not call yourself a follower of Jesus, I, I can only imagine at this moment you're thinking like, this guy is some great salesman for Jesus because this sounds awesome. Like, where, where do I sign up for this? this? How do I do this dirty job? Well, you'll be encouraged to know that the final point we're going to see out of this is that not only is it a hard job, but it, it's a job that causes actually suffering. But that suffering can actually be a source of joy. So the third thing that we're going to see in this passage as we move to what is really like the linchpin verse of these 11 verses is that we can find joy in suffering. Uh, circle back with me now to the beginning of this passage, verse 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, I said it before, but I'll say it again. Notice that he doesn't say, I rejoice in spite of my sufferings. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. And if you'll remember the context we've talked about in the past couple of weeks, most scholars believe that Paul is writing this letter from prison. Now, even if he's not, even if the scholars are wrong and the date's a little bit off and he's not actually in prison at this moment, we know from the book of Acts and from the other letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, after Jesus came into his life, he suffered greatly. He was in prison more times than we can count. He was beaten within an inch of his life multiple times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He spent nights alone and hungry. He was betrayed by friends. We're told that he had a thorn in his flesh, which we don't know what that is, but it very likely was a physical ailment that he couldn't get rid of. Paul suffered greatly. And yet here he is saying, I find joy in my suffering. How can he possibly say that? How can, he, how can he possibly say that I find joy in my suffering? Well, I would submit to you it's this. Most of the Gospels allude to this fact. The Gospel of John makes explicit this fact, that Jesus Christ, 
when he was here on earth, the peak, the climax of his glorification was his suffering at Gethsemane and on the cross. So I think what Paul is saying, I think the reason that he can say, I have joy in my suffering is because he knows when he suffers, when he goes through hard things, that is when he can identify with Christ. When he is suffering, he looks like Christ. That is an amazing truth. And if we remember the context of what this passage is, last week we looked at his amazing exaltation of the person of Jesus Christ. And it's almost as if in this moment he's saying, hey, Colossians, remember all the stuff I just told you about who Jesus is? Firstborn of all creation, uh, creator, sustainer, owner, fullness of God, pleased to dwell. He's like, I can't identify with that stuff. That is, that is God's stuff and I'm not God. But he's like, remember the second part when I talked about how he suffered in his flesh for your sake? I think he's like, I can identify with that. So when I suffer, when I go through hard things, I look like Christ and I become more like Christ. And so I am joyful when I suffer because in my suffering, I am identifying with Christ. Uh, you'll, you'll remember some of you that a few weeks ago, I told you that my family and I are reading through The Hobbit. And I promise you, I won't use a Hobbit illustration in every sermon for this series, but I can't promise that it won't show up a couple more times. Uh, one of the recurring themes in that story is that every time things get bad, every time things get hard, Bilbo, the Hobbit, the main character, says something along the lines of, oh, I just wish I was back in my safe, comfortable home by the fire, drinking tea and eating biscuits. He's like, the, the message is every time it gets scary or dangerous, Bilbo is like, I wish I had never come on this adventure. Some of you know our story and you know that I left uh, a job in business and we left a, a great living situation near family and friends and went to seminary. And for most of my time in seminary, I was like Bilbo. Every time it got hard or scary or difficult, I just started to long for my old, safe, comfortable life. And I would really what I was saying is I wish I had never come on this adventure. Oftentimes, as I read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts and especially Paul's letter, I wonder if the Apostle Paul ever felt like that. From all that we can tell, he probably had a pretty good life before Jesus busted in and messed everything up. He was uh, highly educated. We know that he had influence and power. If he wasn't affluent, he was probably headed in that direction. He probably lived a very comfortable life. And I, I just often wonder if the Apostle Paul, in one of those evenings, one of those, in the middle of the nights, when he was sitting on the floor of a putrid, filthy jail cell in some godforsaken city he never thought he would ever go to, or in one of those nights where he was laying in some kind stranger's bed in their guest room, trying to recover from broken bones and a concussion and lacerations, or when he was sleeping alone in the wilderness, hungry and cold and hiding from people who wanted to kill him. I often wonder if he ever thought to himself, man, I wish I had just stayed in Tarsus. I wish I was just back in my warm, comfortable, safe house teaching at the university. I probably would have had tenure by now. Maybe, maybe in, the, maybe in the early stages of his walk with Jesus, he had thoughts like that. But I'm pretty sure, based on passages like the one we're looking at right now and so many others, in, in, in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I count my life as no value to me. 
except that I can finish the race that God has put before me. I don't think Paul thought like that. When Paul hit suffering, when he hit difficulties, when he hit trials, he didn't shrivel and whine. He rejoiced because he recognized that it was in those moments that he was most closely identifying with the Savior that he served, a suffering Savior. And as Paul suffered, he knew that he looked like Christ. We know almost nothing of this in the church today, especially in the West. When we hit difficulties, when we hit trials, suffering, hardships, when we lose our job, when we, when, when we get sick or when someone we love gets sick, when we are betrayed by someone, when life seems to fall apart, when, when we get frustrated and discouraged, we do almost everything else except find joy in those moments. And yet here's the Apostle Paul writing to these people in Colossae saying, it's when I am suffering that I can find joy. And that can be true for you and I. When we recognize that it is in our difficulties, it is in our hardships, when, when, when we are living through a global pandemic and it feels like every facet of our lives is being totally jacked up, we cannot just grit our teeth and bear it. We can actually find joy in that moment because Jesus promised his followers that they would suffer for his sake. And so when we suffer, we can find joy in it because it identifies us with Jesus Christ. If you wanna look like Mike, buy some Air Jordans. If you wanna look like Jesus, rejoice in the midst of suffering. But I'll ask the same question that I asked of Paul. How could Paul say that? How can we possibly do that? And the answer is the same. It is the mystery of the gospel which Paul has already laid out. It is Christ in you. There is no way in our own power that we could ever find joy in suffering or hardship or in difficulties. But when we have Christ living in us, the hope of the gospel, we can find joy in suffering. The gospel of Jesus Christ sermon title or a series title changes everything. Now, as we wrap this up, I just want to point out one more thing in this passage. Uh, Paul does not call, Paul does not say that he is rejoicing in his suffering just because he's blindly following some God and isn't sure how it's all going to play out. I want to see three, just three words that he sprinkles into this passage that give us a clue as to what his mindset is. The first is in verse 27 when he talks about the riches of the glory of this mystery. He uses that word again in verse 2 of chapter, chapter 2 when he says to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And then the next verse in verse three, talking about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you hear that? Riches and riches and treasure. Paul is saying, I'm not just doing this for nothing. There is a reward at the end of this. Riches and treasure are reward language. And again, Hobbit, the reason that Bilbo and all his dwarf companions could go through all the the, the terrible things they went through is because they knew at the end of their journey, there was a mountain with a cave underneath it full of gold. There was a payoff at the end. And Paul is implying in these verses, the same is true for those who follow Jesus Christ. Yes, there will be suffering in this world, but we can have joy in that. One, because it identifies, we identify with Christ in that suffering. But two, because there is a joy that is set before us. There is a goal 
There is a reward, riches and treasure, and it may not be a pot full of gold, though it might be, but it is heaven. It is eternity in God's presence. It is wiping every tear from our eyes and death being no more and sin being no more and sadness being no more. We can suffer through this life knowing that there is a payoff in the life to come. Now, the last thing I just want to talk about is that Paul is not the only one that the Bible talks about getting a job from God that was a hard job, but finding joy in the midst of that hard job. Jesus Christ was also given a divine job description. And that job description was really hard. It was to come to earth as a human and fix the problem of sin. And the way that Jesus had to do that, his job description included death on a cross. But do you know what got him through that? Do you know what he found in the middle of it? It's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Joy. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he tells us that Jesus went to the cross because, for the, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And do you know what that joy was? I believe with all my heart the joy that was set before him was the prospect of Jesus taking people like you and me, people who were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds and presenting us holy and blameless and righteous before God the Father. It was the prospect of taking those who were active enemies to God and reconciling to him as, their, as God's sons and as God's daughters. It was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. He had a hard job, but somebody had to do it. And the same is true for us, not in the same way as the Apostle Paul or as Jesus Christ, but God has given us a job. It's a hard job, but we can find joy in the midst of it. It's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you again just for the revealed truth of your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to read the Bible freely, understanding that these are the, the literal words of God inspired that we might know you better. And I pray that that would be what would happen in these very moments, that as the the truth and the reality of who you are as revealed through your word sinks into us that we would be changed by that. God, I pray that you would work in us. I pray that you would empower us to make fully known to everyone you put in our path the mystery of the gospel, that it is Christ in you and that him we proclaim. Thank you for who you are. As we move into a time of communion, God, I pray that the reality of what you did on the cross would be so real to us that it literally changes the way that we live our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to move into a time of communion. And again, though we can't be together physically, as we're together virtually, I hope that this is a sign and reminder of you of our unity as the body of Christ, even though we are currently scattered in many different places. I also want to just uh, encourage you, if you're watching this today, and uh, you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible makes really clear that, that to partake in communion is reserved for those who have made Jesus Christ Lord of their life. So if that's you, uh, I would just ask that you refrain from taking communion with us today. But I also just want to encourage you that there is no better day than today to make the decision that, yeah, you do want to be a part of God's family by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And we can help you with that, and we'll have an opportunity to um, after we get through communion. So with that, uh, let's just take a quiet moment 
to sit and reflect, and then I'll lead us in the taking of the elements. some bread if you could take that for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me take and eat In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Uh, just as a quick reminder, uh, we have our prayer counselors and some members of our staff who are in a live Zoom call right now. If there is anything at all that you would like prayer for, if you want to know more about what it means to know Jesus Christ, if you have something in your life that you would like to be prayed over, they would find it a tremendous privilege to pray with you right now. They can break you off into breakout rooms with an individual prayer counselor. Uh, the link for that, if you're watching this live, is in the description of this video. Below it also is available on our website. So good to be with you all this morning. Uh, please receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forevermore. Amen. You are prayed for, you are loved, and you are sent.